Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of So What Are We Watching? My name is Jay Pollitt. And my name is Andrew. And today we have got a special guest, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Guten Tag, I'm Stefan. Since you are our guest, we are going to ask you first, Stefan, what have you been watching? So, this last week I watched Alien, directed by Ridley Scott. I watched it for the 7,000th time, because it's one of my favourite films ever. Released in 1979, and it stars Sigourney Weaver. Now, why exactly do you like Alien? Like, is it the, the, is it like the sci-fi elements? Is it the horror elements? Uh, is it something else completely that you like about it? Well, I mean, I've always liked sci-fi. I mean, I'm a big Doctor Who fan, so... I've always liked the blend of sci-fi that can scare you. So, you know, a more adult version of this, obviously, is sci-fi horror. And the film is also just, I mean, aside from just being my type of film, it's also just technically brilliant. Like, it's so well made and so well shot and uh, well directed and well acted. And there's there's no fault about it. I mean, the alien suit looks a bit hokey, but it was 1979. They didn't have CGI. And it's just the perfect film. You mentioned uh, Doctor Who. Isn't uh, John Hurt in this film? Oh yeah, he is. He gets his chest blown out. Spoiler alert, it's been out for 40 years. I mean, it's been out for 40 years, but I haven't actually seen it. Uh, This is one of those films I've just never watched. But like, from what I've got, like the gist is that they've got like xenomorphs as like the aliens. They've been parodied in like everything ever. (laughs) That's all I really know about it. You know, I feel like the Xenomorph costume is kind of iconic, like like Stefan said. In the original, like, the suits were a bit clunky, like, that kind of improves further on. But, you know, it's, it's, it's terrifying, you know, especially when you've watched it for, like, the first time. And you can imagine the audience back then, like, were probably absolutely terrified. Like, I still think, I think, I think there's, like, a scene where, like, one of the cats goes into one of the vents and the Xenomorph is there. And it's just, like, it just jumps out. Like, that's, that first time was terrifying. And I loved it. The first time I actually watched it, I mean, I've been want- wanting to watch it since I was about uh, since I was about eight, and my mum was a bit strict on that kind of stuff. But I mean, as I got older, I just sort of say, ah, well, you know, I'm gonna watch it anyway. So I was about fifteen when I first watched it, and then I first watched it on a little, you know, like how in the back of cars they'd have like those little TV monitors. And uh, I watched it on the way back from, I think it was like Swindon or something really random like that. And I watched it, and the bit where, I mean, I know Jordan doesn't know because they haven't seen Perfection yet, which is fine, but, I mean, as Andrew knows, the bit where um, John Hurt's character approaches the egg for the first time, and, of course, with hindsight, you know that thing's going to come out, and then you're expecting the egg to open. Well, well, that's the thing, is that, that and then it jumped out on him, and it was that like that, um, like that rule that Hitchcock stated, that, you know, if you have a bomb under the table and it goes off, there's no suspense. It's a surprise, but there's no suspense. But if you show the audience there's a bomb under the table and then don't do anything for 10 minutes, the audience are waiting for it to go off. So I actually think the film's improved over time because you're knowing what's going to happen to him and you're just waiting for it. And it's just perfect. It's a masterpiece. I think you said before, it got his chest blown open. You know, the chest burster scene in the uh, the dinner area and all that. It's just like eating normally and then all of a sudden he just starts 
having like it kind of looks like a heart attack and all that but he ends up on the table and all you can just see is like his chest just but basically bursting open and all that it's just it slowly comes out and it just slivers off into the distance it's just like oh my god uh, i think i think how they did that actually was you know like they had half of him basically like, poked out like some sort of like slant like uh like the table and they basically like made like the the lower bit like the from like the chest bit uh down to his legs and all that like some sort of like you know fake dummy and all that and they basically just shoved it through the t-shirt but you know his head and his arms and all that are still there but it, you know it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty groovy how they actually managed to pull it off and i mean you could probably see it now how they did it but you know it's 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 pretty pretty gory and pretty uh gruesome death to go but it's one of my favorite scenes from that whole film to be fair i mean you were saying like about like how iconic the xenomorphs are it's like every piece of like pop culture media whenever they show like your stereotypical alien like i remember um i'm sure you've played gta before the alien costumes that they've got in that are literally xenomorphs i think at one point uh regular show parodied the xenomorphs in like a halloween episode they're just like so iconic like whether you've seen the film or not like me you will know you'll know the xenomorphs it's such an iconic image there's another thing, as uh, as you mentioned, um, mentioning before Andrew about how they filmed the scene with the chestburster. That scene in the script, it wasn't written as John Hurt gets his chest blown open. All was written was uh, it happens. All they wrote in the script was it happens. So of course the cast, the crew knew. The cast had no idea what was in store. Their shocked reactions is because they're genuinely thinking John Hurt's going into like cardiac arrest or something. And and another thing is as well. Um, I, I'm aware Jordan hasn't, you know, as we know, Jordan has no taste and hasn't watched Alien. They have seen the Tom Baker episode of Doctor Who, uh, The Ark in Space, which is it's well known that the episode of Doctor Who and Alien share a lot of similarities to the point where people have said that Alien ripped off that episode. I don't even remember that episode too well. I just kind of had it on in the background while I was doing stuff. <laughs> I mean, the the film as well is not only just a sci-fi horror, it's also quite existential in some parts. There's lots of uh, fear of the unknown. That's a very Lovecraftian ancient idea that we're not alone in the universe and what's out there is pretty horrifying. Isn't it like before they actually introduce the actual xenomorph, the, uh, the engineers are there basically. Like, like there's a, I think... How they actually get into contact with the xenomorph, like eggs and xenomorph itself, is uh, the the enter the engineer's uh, ship, and it's like a dead engineer there. And and I mean, I don't know if any of you know about the film Prometheus, which is basically the alien prequel, which basically you know explains the whole origins, or you know explains you know about the engineers and about you know the, the semi origins of the xenomorphs, at least in that film, the protomorph. But that you, you that's like the, it's kind of weird because you feel like oh like these. Uh, the, the engineers, like in, when you've actually first seen an uh, alien, you think they're going to be like these, you know, gentle giants, and you feel like, oh, there's not much else out there. And it's just like, oh, they're, they're like the humanoid aliens. It's like that look, like, you know, quite similar to us. And then all of a sudden, you see these xenomorphs. It's just like these are just absolute nightmare fuel. You know, it's just something you wouldn't want to come across. There's a part later on in the film where things seem to die down, and uh, then obviously things kick off again. And there's a disguised xenomorph in the um in the vent. There's like a part where there's like wiring and pipes. You see the xenomorph hiding there, and it jumps out at Ripley. 
that's a great scene and that's a very suspense uh, suspenseful as well i want to know how they actually made the um the, the, the you know the noises that the xenomorphs made because it's really weird it's, it sounds i don't know why it sounds a little bit like a like a chimpanzee and like a like a dolphin i guess like mixed like it's it's quite like a high-pitched thing that's like quite iconic like it's the you know the noise and slightly demonic as well like a demonic chimpanzee dolphin hybrid <laughs> you know obviously i haven't seen alien but i am familiar with some of ridley scott's other work you know you've got like blade runner just last year there was house of gucci which i think we mentioned last time briefly well i suppose i've praised it so much that I could give it a 9 out of 10, but that would be disingenuous. I suppose I'd have to give it 9.5 if I was being earnest, but... How could it get that 0.5? How could it get that 0.5? I don't know if it had better practical effects, but then again, the practical practical effects are brilliant. As I mean, they're aged, they haven't aged fantastically, but... Um, I mean, I suppose, like, back in 1979, it would have been, like, revolutionary, kind of like Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... You know, it was made only two years after Star Wars, so people are still on that high. And it is kind of a lot like an an anti-Star Wars in the fact that Star Wars is sort of full of hope and, you know, and the Force or something, I don't know. Alien is like, oh, I suppose there's hope. There's also an alien that's trying to rip your head off. And it's like, oh, good Lord, that's not great. <laughs> I feel like the uh, the Alien film and all that and the films that came after it basically just sparked off like its own subgenre, which is like sci-fi horror. And then from there, from like the whole Xenomorph thing, you've got you've had so many different like sci-fi horrors come out that have been equally as terrifying. The thing, yeah, John Caps is the thing. I love that. It's 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 great. The the practical effects and that actually for an old film, you got Predator, you've got. You got you got some more like comedic like sci-fi horror films like Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I don't know if anybody's watched that. That's that's quite like quite like a cheesy like uh D film D class film, but um but you know it's it all branches off each other. But Aliens definitely started something. Aliens definitely you know expanded the sci-fi genre a little bit. I feel like it very expanded upon the you know the like what Stefan said before the fear of the unknown the fear of like darkness and all that and that's what makes it so scary because you like the first time you don't know what to expect and then you hit with whatever it gives you. Clearly, we've got Andrew in his element here because it's a horror film. Um... <laughs> I just love to pose another question to Andrew. Um, would you have, well actually have any of you seen the Terminator because that's very much similar to uh, Alien. In that it's a sci-fi horror, although that is slightly more action-focused. Terminator, yeah, I've seen all the Terminator films. I feel like Terminator 1, the first one, was a great film, but I feel like Terminator 2 was, you know, one of the best Terminator films. The second one's fantastic. But I feel like from there, just nothing really became the same. Although I feel like an underrated Terminator film was um, Terminator Salvation. And that's like, it's kind of the film that... Uh, it's you know all the fans kind of wanted but it was kind of overlooked in a way well I mean, have, you, have you have you ever seen genesis i think terminator genesis is is like one of those it, from there and then the other one after that dark fate basically just retcon all of the um you know all the lore and all the history behind the terminator films it's like remember this yeah no it does not exist anymore i think terminator 3 was bad terminator was was actually underrated and then terminator genesis was just awful and then Terminator Dark Fate just completely redid the thing because it weren't even called Terminators and that. The it, it just branched off to a different timeline. 
I won't spoil too much, but yeah, it's the the, the about Sarah Connor's like you know like how most of these films have done like bring back old characters, but um you know it's probably about time they'll probably do that with Alien at some point. You know, I and I, I can see it because not long ago did we have Alien Covenant. Oh, I have seen I have seen that one. I have seen Alien Covenant. I remember watching it in cinemas. It was I I used to like it like when I was fifteen and I didn't know any better. That was actually the first Alien film I ever saw. That's the only Alien film I've seen. Oh oh dear. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> oh no, that's very that's very upsetting to me. Twenty like twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen was the kind of time of my life where I just go to watch films without watching any of the prior stuff. Kind of like I did with uh, Jurassic World Dominion when I watched just Jurassic Park in anticipation, and then Dominion after that without watching all the things that came between. But like I watched what was it Star Trek Into Darkness without watching any of the prior Star Wars films. Star Star Trek. Oh no, Star you started Trek something now. Oh god, here we go. Here um, we go. <laughs> You're gonna get executed. Independence Day Resurgence, I watched that without watching the original Independence Day. It's just, it was a weird time. On that note, steering away from the adult sci-fi horror classic, which is Alien, we'll ask Jordan, what have you been watching? So, it, the thing I've watched recently was... It's kind of also another adult film, but in a different sense. The film I watched is called Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. This is a film directed by Sophie Hyde. It stars Emma Thompson and Daryl McCormack. And it's all just kind of about sex. That That's what it's about. It's about, like, finding... It's about finding, like, positivity within it, because, I don't know, it can be portrayed now. I don't fully understand the message, honestly. It was enjoyable. I liked the stylization of it. I liked like what it's about, but it felt very weird as well, as a film about sex probably would. Um, what age range is this film? If you don't mind me asking. I think it was a fifteen. PG fifteen. Wow. What 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 made it have that PG fifteen? Was it just very saucy? I mean, like I said, the whole thing's about sex. There's not really nudity in it till, like, the end. Because that's the irony of uh, sex films. Like, you know, you can have it, like, being, like, the whole message about sex and being rated, like, certain age because it's, like, you know, uh, certain audiences are a little bit more mature to see it. Yet they won't, they'll barely show anything, I guess. Which is kind of funny. Yeah, this one was not subtle. This film was not subtle at all. It was very clearly about sex. It's basically about Emma Thompson plays a mother who hires a male escort because her husband died a few years ago and she wants to relationshipy stuff again. And this ends up going, she ends up priving too much into the male escort's personal life. They have a bit of an argument. It goes on and on. I, I recommend it. It's a weird film. You have to prepare yourself for how sexual this film is. It's like, as soon as you watch it, you know what you're going into. I didn't know what I was going into at first, because when I saw the name, like, oh, good luck to you, Leo Grand. It's got, like, the, um, you know, the typical font you see on just, like, typical rom-coms and stuff. So I thought I was just going in for a mediocre rom-com. Uh, and then I came in, and it's, like, it's probably shot, like, a cinematic masterpiece. I love how it's shot, like, and the direction of it, like, the acting's great. I just wasn't expecting it to be... <laughs> this kind of film, so I was a bit, uh, what am I watching when I was in the cinema? But overall, it was good. 
Would you say it was a lot more um, adult, adult-ish than films like Fifty Shades of Grey? No, I don't know if you ever watched that. No, I, I, I haven't, I haven't watched Fifty Shades of Grey, but I know about like how much stuffs in that. That's more BDSM, I think. This, this one is just kind of finding positivity within. Oh, it's so like sex positivity. Yeah. And it's got, like, Emma Thompson's character, she kind of has a bit of, like, body dysmorphia, so she doesn't like how she looks and stuff, but she learns through the film to kind of love her body and love who she is. It's just, it's very much... I want to say it's a coming-of-age film? It might not be. I don't know if it if it classes as one or not. But I, I generally, I think it's... It was alright. It was It was good. Stefan, do you have any thoughts on this uh, film? Yeah, uh, no, not really. I mean, you know, I haven't seen it. It does look, I mean, like, not for the reasons that I could mean it, but I mean, it does look very well made. I would like to watch it. I mean, if it's, you know, about positivity and it's not gratuitous, that, that's fine. I feel like it's, it's important to show, especially in films like this that could be considered gratuitous, to show, uh, to have a message behind the scenes, to have a sort of a, a point to them. I think that's very important in films like this. It's a female director too, which something I was saying the other week when we were talking about men was the films where they kind of follow negativity within a woman. I don't think they should be directed by men because men aren't going to have an accurate first-hand experience of womanhood and facing misogyny and stuff like that. But I think, you know, this film being handled by a woman was great. But yeah, I, I haven't, like Stefan, uh, I haven't actually watched this film. I, don't, I, I did think Jordan actually did say to me to watch this, but, you know, I, I didn't really have a lot of time on the weekend too because I was too busy watching uh, something else, which we'll get to later. Um, but, you know, it, it feels like a film that I definitely will have to put on my watch list uh, and I'll probably have to feedback to you on my thoughts, to be fair. So, Andrew, you say that you were uh, busy watching something else over the weekend. Um, so let me ask you, what were you watching? The film I was uh, watching this weekend, is it, this is, this is you know, really funny, actually, because of the two films we've just been talking about are very adult films. This one's a kid's film. And, you know, compared to the sci-fi horror that Alien was, this is more to do with, like, kids' imagination, I guess. It, it heavily links into Toy Story because the film I watched is Lightyear. You know, this, this is... A, According to uh, the film at the beginning in Disney, uh, this is the film that inspired the toy, which was released like during the 1990s, which is kind of weird because, you know, the film doesn't like it was made in the 90s. But, you know, I'm, I'm no person to judge about animation because there are some good animations from the 90s. Tim Allen doesn't voice Buzz this time round, which is, you know, kind of weird also. But, you know, it's Chris Evans this time round voicing Buzz. This this film, you know, it's kind of basic. You know, I'll 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 begin with that. It's it's very. There's nothing new with it. I mean, it's, I get it's a kids' film. I get it's about a kids' toy in a in a film. You know, what it's based off. But like the whole story itself is just so predictable. I guess. I mean, don't get me wrong. The uh the animation, the, the you know the actual movements, the actual color schemes, and all that is fantastic like what pixar and disney have done together but everything else is it's just a bit bland i mean i don't know if that was my viewing experience because i was sat in a cinema full of uh screaming kids um but 
yeah, that's, you know, I, I don't know if I really liked it, to be fair. Have any of you watched it yet? Or? Yeah, I've seen it. I just want to quickly apologise for your supposedly bad cinema experience. I, I went at a later time in the day, so they're purpose- purposely so there weren't children there. We went in the evening, and there was just a, like a bunch of the devil spawn just running up and down the stairs. Oh god. <laughs> well, like I just want to go back to a point you said earlier about, you know, it doesn't feel like this film would have been made in the 90s. My kind of counter-argument to that would just be kind of that, like, you know, it's a film within a fictional universe. So, for all we know, back in the 90s, in the Toy Story universe, the film equipment could have been like way ahead of its time that's all i'll say really i mean they do live in a universe where toys come to life so you know anything's possible yeah i mean for me myself like the original i'm gonna say the first three toy story films are among my favorite films of all time the fourth one i like it i just think it's a little bit unnecessary then again also i don't think this film is needed I mean, it's Disney, you know, Disney, like, ended uh, the the massive animated franchise and just thought, you know, well, how can we cash off this without having to make a direct Toy Story film? And it's basically like, Lightyear is basically Toy Story 5, but without calling it Toy Story 5. Uh, and, you know, it begs to question uh, something that Stefan actually um, mentioned uh, off mic before about um, will they do this with other Toy Story characters and, you know, who, who would they do it with? Because I feel they could do it with Woody and have like Woody and Buzz do some sort of like um, Cowboys versus Aliens sort of thing, I guess. I do hope that if they do ever do a Woody film, it is at least true to the original. Because of course in Toy Story 2, we do get to see the original TV show which Woody came off. And, you know, Toy Story 2, for me personally, is my favourite Toy Story film because it's the most nostalgic for me. It's always the scene where you've got Wayne Knight's character, uh, Al, was his name? Yeah, uh, Al's toy barn, the, the, the guy from uh, that, the guy dressed in a chicken costume. Yeah, when he's just, like, sleeping and he's got, like, his hand, like, with the cheese puffs, like, that is so, just, like, so much nostalgia for me. Like, I remember just watching that on my small little TV in my room. And I feel like Lightyear kind of sucks away that nostalgia because although it does have, you know, like, those iconic lines, it feels like they were just put in there. And I feel like this could have just been any other Disney film without having to be like you. Because it, it's one of those, it's a typical film about like, oh, you know, I need self-improvement. Here's a lesson. Here's some teammates. And then that's it. Like, you know, you fo- they focus more on the side characters than Buzz himself. Because Buzz just made out to be this, uh, I mean, like he is in Toy Story, like the first one. But I mean, you know, in this, like he's an actual qualified person. And in Toy Story, he's a toy. I mean, to those who, to those of you who don't know, um, like Andrew said earlier, this is not the same Buzz Lightyear that we follow throughout the Toy Story films. This is the movie character who the toy we know in Toy Story is based off. It establishes at the beginning of the film that this is a movie within the Toy Story universe. But you were like, you were like saying about like nostalgia and stuff, and like I feel like this was my first. Pixar film I've seen in cinemas since I think Cars 2, which was 11 years ago. So it felt really just weird to see the Pixar logo on screen again. Uh, and it hasn't changed. So that was a proper, like, wow sort of moment. How do you guys feel about just, like, Pixar in general and uh, the Toy Story franchise? I mean, uh, I suppose that I mean, I, I always preferred Pixar films, because I, I never used to watch, like, kids films like back in the day i always thought they were like 
a bit naff, you know. I, I think that, no, I, because I, I suppose I used to watch Doctor Who and I didn't have much of a life, but I never used to watch, I always used to watch the Pixar films though. I, I don't know what it was. I suppose, I think some of my earliest memories is being really upset at Finding Nemo. I think it was the bit, I suppose, isn't, doesn't the mum, I haven't seen it in like, it's literally been nearly 20 years which is not good it's the bit i think when he's in the bag and he's trying to get out or something he's trying to get out the bag i don't it's like in a bag in that place in that like that shop or something oh uh, the the dentistry and um the dentist's uh, daughter is basically just shaking and looking down yeah that's it that's it. and i remember have, screaming at the tv saying leave him alone you know as a child you know I'm joking, this was last week. But uh, it was quite good because I still have that memory. Like, I haven't seen it since 2004, maybe. And I still remember that really upsetting me. So that's something. It's funny you say that, because there's kind of like a Mandela effect kind of thing I have with a certain Pixar film. Uh, the original Cars from 2006. I remember watching it in the cinemas. But every single time I've watched it since, I've always been confused. Because I remember this one scene where Lightning McQueen, he's like, sliding down a um like a hill and he's looking right into the camera and just talking like saying you know i didn't always be like this and just like seeing stuff and then that's not in the film though so i don't know where i imagine that it might have been like a trailer it was definitely like while i was watching the film yeah i don't know it was weird uh cars i think was one of the first films i saw in cinemas i think the first was charlie and the chocolate factory with johnny depp oh that's a flashback Oh, wow. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just getting nostalgic. I mean, oh, I, I remember when I went to see Wally in the um, in the cinema. That was, I, again, you know, sci-fi films really spoke to me at the time. They, they don't really anymore. I mean, I don't find any enjoyment from lots of them. I don't know, they always feel a bit generic. But Wally was, I mean, it's Wally. You know, I don't need to say anything. About that, I mean, you already know how good it is. I remember watching Up in the cinema when that came out, and you know that still holds up today. To be fair, uh, that's still one of my favorite uh, animated films. I don't know why the, the main character kind of reminds me of Harrison Ford for some reason. It's just the head shape, but I remember it was it was absolutely massive at the time, and it's like still quite massive now. But you know, it's just it was it was simple, I guess. It didn't, you know tried to overcomplicate things. It was an old man who basically just lost his wife and he wanted to, you know, go to the place that they couldn't go. And then from there, I added a little bit more of, like, um, sort of substance to it. But, you know, it was, it was a very, like, heartwarming story, which I feel like Lightyear kind of lacks. Like, I don't want to spoil anything, but a lot of it is just uh, predictable. I will say, you know, I appreciate at least um, bringing in Zerg because, you know, you can't have Buzz Lightyear without Zerg. Like, Zerg's... I mean, it wasn't a massive part, but it was a part of Toy Story and Toy Story 3, at least. And, you know, in some of, some of like, the, the mini videos, uh, like, yeah, there was, um... I remember, there used to be, like, a VHS tape, like, film, like, series of uh, Buzz Lightyear Space Rangers. That, that brings back memories. That was... That's ancient. That's another thing I kind of wanted to bring up, was uh, Angus McLean, who is the director of Lightyear, this is his first feature-length credit ever. He's previously worked on Pixar stuff, but they were Pixar shorts. So he worked on uh, Bernie, which was a short for Wally. He worked on two Toy Story shorts, uh, Toy Story of Terror and Small Fry. Well, does, does anyone want to hear my controversial um, Pixar 
opinion. Although I've never seen Up. And, just to make it slightly worse, I don't think I've seen Toy Story all the way through, nor Toy Story 3. I've I've definitely not seen Toy Story 3, and I don't think I saw Toy Story 2 either. And I haven't seen any of them. So basically, the only ones I have seen... Have you seen Toy Story 4? I have seen 4. I think that might have been the first one that I saw, and I thought it was a bit naff. But um Doesn't sound like you had much of a childhood then, did you, if you didn't watch Toy Story? Well that's well. the that's the thing. <laughs> well that's the thing. Is that they were always there in the background. Like I remember watching them and my my mum swears that she took me to see that the Incredibles, but I just don't remember a lot of stuff. You know, I should probably see like a hypnotherapist or something just to sort of uncover the repressed Pixar watches that I don't remember. But um, I def I definitely remember finding Nemo, and I must have seen the first to- uh, two Toy Story films because even I can't be that, you know, isolated. Uh, I bet the reason why you didn't actually watch uh, any of the Toy Story films while you was younger, Stephanie, is because you was too busy watching Alien. But... That's that's pro- that's probably what did it. That's probably what warped my worldview. Well, to to be honest, I was terrified of horror films. Like I was scared of everything. But I I used to watch like I used to watch other cartoons like I used to watch like Shrek and stuff like I yeah I wasn't that out of it no I just didn't watch I think by the time I started watching them I was a bit too old for them but the thing is it's good because I've got a little cousin now I've got two little cousins but one's like an, an infant so she's not gonna know what's going on but I remember I was I was watching Lion King and it was a much more rewarding experience watching it with like you know a family member who's younger. Because they were sort of filled with wonder about it, and they weren't sort of broken by the world like I am. So, um, yeah. Sorry, I made this a bit depressing, but anyway, yeah, yeah. What's everybody's favorite Toy Story film? Toy Story Three, I'm gonna say. I don't know why. It's it's more of like a horror film, I guess. It's it's absolutely traumatizing, but you know, I kind of liked it because it was basically like you know the first time that they were away from Andy. You no, know, it's like in this bigger world, I guess, like bigger than. Like Owl's Toy Barn, because I feel like in Toy Story 2, you only really get to explore. I feel it's like two, three different places, which was Andy's house, uh, Owl's apartment, and uh, the airplane. But in Toy Story uh, 3, there was all sorts of different places, and that incinerator scene at the um, the 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 trash place, the you know the tip, whatever it is, was uh, absolutely mortifying, and you know. Maybe maybe not something you should be showing kids, but then again, you know, I, I feel like it was a little bit more grounded. It was a little bit more like there was a lot of development, I feel like, for the toys and all that, especially for Woody, which is like, you know, we've got to let go of Andy. I will say in terms of like you mentioned horror, Toy Story 4, I was absolutely terrified of like the puppets. The uh the dummies, yeah, the ventriloquist dolls, uh, because they just with that silent running, they were just... They remind me a lot like um. They are creepy as hell. They remind me of uh, Slappy from Goosebumps. Um, if everybody's watched Goosebumps, but they were just terrifying. Oh yeah, I think I think I know what you mean. Anyway, so final verdict, everyone on Lightyear. Yeah, I just didn't like it. it I mean, I, it's not like I didn't like it. I enjoyed bits of it. It was some good comedy. I definitely love socks. I mean, I don't know why. Just the talking robot cat makes sense. But aside from that, I can't really. I I can't really praise the film that much i didn't really like it as much as i thought it would it's a it's a good film you know if you're kids but you know if you're like around my age then it's, it's, it's like a it's like a 50 50 yeah i mean it was it was just a bit mediocre i mean you know it, was, it did give me nostalgia for stuff i would have watched as a kid but 
it didn't really provide anything else to me apart from that. I mean, it was, you know, it was just a mild adventure, really. That's all. It was a bit like a plodding adventure, really. Yeah. I feel like this was the kind of film I would have loved it as a child. I remember I had Buzz Lightyear action figures and stuff. But looking at it now, it's just like, it it's so generic. It look it starts off looking like it has promise, and then by the end of it, it's just your typical action sci-fi malarkey. So anyway, we've been talking for quite a while about what we've been watching. So let's move on to our second act. Today, we are going to be discussing a film trilogy, which is a very kind of obscure trilogy compared to like, you know, your typical Star Wars trilogy or Captain America or whatever. And this is the iconic Edgar Wright Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy. The three films that kind of make up this trilogy are Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and one of my favorite films that I mentioned last time, The World's End. Main stars of these films throughout is uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, which I'm a little bit gutted because, you know, I could have met Nick Frost this year, actually. How did that come about? Basically, he was in like some sort of like uh, horror convention in Sheffield. I mean, it was basically called HorrorCon UK, very original. Has Nick Frost been in any horror films? Yeah, yeah, he was in uh, Slaughterhouse Rules. He was in Shaun of the Dead, which is basically horror. Attack the Block is kind of horror, sci-fi horror. Yeah. He was in Doctor Who. He played Santa Claus in Doctor Who. He was based in Sheffield, and I kind of didn't realise because the tickets had already sold out, but they basically like announced them for all tickets for entry had sold out, and I was a little bit gutted. And I could have met him for like 25 quid, and I'm really sad now, but... So, um... Overall thoughts on the Cornetto trilogy? I absolutely love it. I the Cornetto trilogy is just iconic. I mean, I love Edgar Wright. Uh, anyways, as director, he's done films I've enjoyed, like um, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and Last Night in Soho. I think I think it's you didn't list this as a favorite film, but I do know you talk about this quite a lot. Um, Space, I think it is. Oh yeah, that's a series. It's yeah, that's Edgar Wright's TV series that he did. It's very much, it feels like it belongs in the Cornetto trilogy. It is Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Just about two flatmates that kind of live together. Nick Frost isn't the other um, flatmate. That's Jessica Hines is her name. Yeah. Um, Nick Frost's around, though. Yeah, he plays like this um, like this military enthusiast. But he's obsessed, you know, like he just, there's like a rave and they integrate bits of the A-Team soundtrack, which is an old show from the 80s. Yeah, very action. Yeah, so, you know, he's very... Like, he always wears a beret and always wears camo. But also, the the third episode of the first series of Space has uh, Simon Pegg's character, I think, taking, I, I don't know, like, some kind of hallucinogenic and playing Resident Evil. And then he hallucinates that he's shooting zombies. And apparently... After filming that, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg said, oh, we should do a zombie movie, and then that's how Shaun of the Dead came about. Ah, nice. Mm. Yeah, and you can definitely see that. If you like the Cornetto trilogy, you'll love Spaced. But yeah, no, so before we talk about the films individually, let's kind of talk about kind of each of these films all share. So obviously they're all Edgar Wright films. They all have Simon Pegg and Nick Frost at the lead. What else do they have? The thing with Edgar Wright, he's uh, a very music-based, very music-driven person. You'll find that throughout a lot of his projects. Especially Baby Driver. Yeah, especially Baby Driver, especially uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. 
And also, the foreshadowing is, is something that's apparent for all these, especially through Hot Fuzz, because it's so, like, there's the tiniest of tiniest of foreshadowing in it. And, you know, it's great. I'd say it's the same for Shaun of the Dead, because, I mean, I think you said you haven't seen Shaun of the Dead that much. I've, I've seen it, but it's not, like, my most watched out of the Cornetta trilogy. Because there's a few bits in it where it's, like, Simon Pegg's just walking to the shop, and then uh, this kid's, like, kicking a ball about, and Simon Pegg just tells him, um, Oi, you're dead. And then the next time you see that kid, he's a zombie, and he's dead. Um, it's just small things like that. Yeah, I feel like in Hot Fuzz, some of it's quite obvious, and then some of it's like you have to kind of think about it in a way. Like it's just like the smallest bits of dialect. Like when uh, in Hot Fuzz, uh, he's basically doing the crossword puzzle with the woman, and it's like hag, fascist, and they basically just call each other that later on. The yeah, film. then they say that again at the end. Yeah, like I, I, that's one of the things I love about the the Cornetta trilogy. It's like the music and the foreshadowing. Uh, and now I'll say it's, it's Simon Pegg and Nick Frost like you know they're just the best duo on screen together and I love them each of the films also contain uh, what's known as the fence gag which is basically what you probably think of when you hear it it's a fence gag somebody either tries to jump over or burst through a fence and they just kind of fail miserably uh, it happens in Shaun of the Dead when Simon Pegg is like have you guys never taken a shortcut? And then he tries to hop over the fence and he just falls over it. Kind of the same in Hot Fuzz, except Simon Pegg easily jumps over them and then Nick Frost kind of just bursts through them and falls over. And World's End, you can tell Simon Pegg's had enough of it and he just kind of hops on it. He's like, oh no, and he just <laughs> flops to the ground. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that fence gag, as you as you just mentioned it, I also feel like they always sort of build on your expectations of the last one. You know, you expect in Hot Fuzz, after you've watched Shaun of the Dead, you expect Simon Pegg to sort of fail miserably, but he, you know, he nails it. And then in the third, in The World's End, you know, he, he tries, you don't know what to expect. You don't know if he's going to make it or if he's going to, you know, fail miserably. I, was, I do like, I, I suppose, never really considered this before, that in The World's End, you, you don't actually know if he would have made it. Like, he may have actually done it because, you know, he does... He does run like hell in the film. Like he does sort of have some athleticism. For someone who's down like eleven points. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he's but he's a pro, isn't? Well, I suppose I shouldn't say that. But I mean, he's um he sort of feeds off the uh the energy that he gets because it's a recreation of the best night of his life. So he sort of manages to gain some of the momentum back to especially towards the end, especially as he's had a few. Uh, some other things which are shared between these films, you've got Cornettos, obviously. So Shaun of the Dead contains a strawberry Cornetto, which is red, which kind of connotes all the blood and the gore throughout the film. Hot Fuzz has the original Cornetto, which has a blue wrapper. The blue represents the police. World's End, although it doesn't feature an actual Cornetto, features a Cornetto wrapper of a mint choc chip ice cream, which is green and kind of represents the sci-fi aspect of the film. I suppose you could also say that the Cornettos are less involved as each film progresses. Like in the first film, they're directly eating uh, Cornettos, which was... They eat Cornettos in the second one too, don't they? No, it's seen in the back... Oh, yeah, they do, actually. Yeah, they do. Actually, the Cornettos in that twice. Yeah, because they ask for it again at the end. Yeah, but also when he's pulling up change, or like when he's getting the sunglasses towards the end... Like, before he's going to do, like, the siege of the town, there's, like, a either a Cornetto scene. 
I don't know if it's like a rapper or if he just buys one. Because it's the third one that's just a rapper because it's got Nick Frost is like cleaning stuff up and then he sees a rapper and he's like, oh. So, I mean, I guess might be a bit of a stupid question, but uh, what's everybody's favourite Cornetto? Oh, you already, you already know my favourite Cornetto trilogy, so there's no point asking me. I'm just going to say World's not, End. Not, not film. What, what's your what's your favourite Cornetto Oh, my favourite Cornetto. Cream? Okay. Uh, ooh, um... That's, I'm gonna say mint. Yeah, I have to say, I have to say the same. I think it's actually quite indicative, considering. Well, I mean, I won't spoil it, but I know, I'm aware of your choice, Andrew. And it's quite indicative that you chose the mint one. Um, but actually, I I like, uh, I like the mint one as well. Although, um, the film that is in is not my favorite. Ooh, spooky, very spooky. Ooh, controversial lads. You know, I'm gonna say my favorite is Cookie Dough. Have you ever had a cookie dough cornetto? No, I don't think I have. They sell that here. It's like a super rare, like obscure flavor. Obviously, it's not as common as like original chocolate or anything. Imagine Edgar Wright decides to do like a fourth like cornetto film. It's just cookie the cornetto dough. quadrilogy. Yeah. The thing is with me, like with ice cream in general, it kind of makes me sound like a pick me type of person, but I I genuinely. My favourite ice cream flavours are the ones which are more obscure and not your typical stuff. So I'm not, you know, I'll, eat, I'll have chocolate ice cream, I'll have strawberry ice cream, I'll have all the generic flavours. But like if there's a interesting looking one, then I'll have it. Like I think a couple of years ago I went down to London and my uncle took me into Camden. And there was an ice cream shop there that sold uh, watermelon ice cream and I had it and I loved it. Cannot say I've had watermelon ice cream and I don't know if I want to try them. If you ever can get your eyes, if if you can ever get your hands on watermelon ice cream, I'd recommend it. Um, it it's pretty nice. <laughs> when I when I went to um, I think it was like the Isle of Wight or something like that. I used to go on like holidays to places as as most people do. But the the thing was, I remember my mum and my dad, and we went to this museum, and I remember it was in like a show I used to watch as a kid, um, and I was like freaking out because I was like oh this is the same place they filmed in that show that whatever it was called but yeah it was there was like this ice cream and it had like this blue sauce and it was called blue goo out of context yeah out of context you know someone really doesn't want to does someone really doesn't want to ask for oh yeah I'll have that ice cream with all your blue goo on it I mean it doesn't sound very good but the thing is it was quite nice actually I think it was like bubblegum flavored it was so nice it was a I felt like I was eating an alien's ice cream like it was like blue, like you know how like in Star Wars they were always drinking like blue milk and it's always blue. It's always like weird colored, uh, weird colors, you know. So kind of leading on to what I think you guys thought I was asking earlier. What is your favorite film out of the Cornetto trilogy? Uh, I'll let Stefan answer this one first because you already know what mine is. If you've watched episode one, you know what Andrew's favorite is going to be. <laughs> My favorite Cornetto film. Oh, was it? I think right. So this it's funny because I love Shaun of the Dead because that was very important in the career I wanted to go in. But I feel Hot Fuzz is the most well-made and the most entertaining for me. But I love The World's End. So I suppose I have to pick Hot Fuzz just because that's my personal favourite. But I do love The World's End. I love them all. You know, it's like picking your children Picking children. Well, no, picking, like, deciding between your own children, not sort of, like, randomly picking children. That might be a bit weird. 
no one really needs to ask what mine is. Like like I said before, the world's end. Pretty much all my reasons for it, you can probably find in the first episode. But you know, I, I love it. It's um it's a fun little pub crawl gem, you know. Five guys drinking twelve pints, twelve different pubs, fighting robot aliens that want to basically, you know, correct human behaviour. And Gary King's just having none of it because he just wants to get drunk as much as possible. Yeah, not that complex, yet it is at the same time. Like, the more and more you watch it, like, the foreshadowing and also just little bits of details and stuff that, you know, you catch every time. But also, this is a film, like, I don't get bored of, like, rewatching. I can rewatch it, I'll quote it, and I'll just have the best time of it. And it's just, you know, it's a, it's a film I, I've, I genuinely enjoy, like, a lot. Well, sounds like we've all got different answers here because my favorite is Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead's just a film that, you know, it's like why I like Donnie Darko because as I've explained before, I like Donnie Darko because every time you watch it, you get a different perspective, a different experience. And you get that a little bit with Shaun of the Dead because every time you pick up on things you didn't notice before, like Easter eggs and foreshadowing. And you do get that with the other films as well, but I find... I don't know. Shaun of the Dead is probably among, like, a really relatable experience. I guess you could put The World's End kind of there as well as a relatable film, because it's just a bunch of guys just going to get drinks. But then, you know, it's just, like, a couple of friends just living at home, and then suddenly they're coming along with a zombie apocalypse. It's it's really fun. Again, it's very... It's very, so well made. It's kind of ridiculous, because the, the, the whole film has... Easter eggs, as as you said, but like it's in. I remember once I watched it, and it was like the seventeenth time I watched it, and every like frame I was like pausing to see if there was something I could notice, and obviously probably half of it was just me making it up. But to have a film that makes you do that and makes you wonder, oh, I wonder if this is an Easter egg. I mean, Edgar Wright maybe is trolling us by making it look like there's more Easter eggs than there actually is, but even if he isn't, I think he's still a genius. Having and uh, Simon Pegg as well, but creating that film, um, you know that's such a good blend of horror and comedy, and uh, yeah, it's a zom rom com, as they described it. Yeah, a zom rom com because it's zombies, romance, comedy. What What do you reckon the film would be like if there wasn't zombies? It'd be kind of like a run of the mill kind of rom com, really, wouldn't it? I, I, but, like, but that's the thing, the writing is so good, I think it would work as a rom com. I don't think the film would exist. No, but I mean, like, hypothetically, I think the film would be still well written. It would definitely be, like, in the same vein as, like, Love Actually and all that, you know, crap. I feel like I could still do, like, you know, the whole apocalypse thing without the zombies, just, you know, do it more like, uh, like, the economy kind of a collapse sort of, like, apocalypse rather than zombies, because there's still. The whole journey to the Winchester still kind of works if you just take away the zombies and just add some else into it. I feel like, I feel like you know, it, it works. Actually, you know, actually, all the films kind of work if you just shuffle all of the, the elements around. And that's, like, kind of funny. Like, imagine if you shuffled the robots and um, the zombies uh, around from World's End to the Shaun of the Dead, and they're, they're going to the Winchester to go away from uh, his robots or his... They're doing the pub crawl and trying to get away from the zombies. I feel like, you know, it's it's interchangeable and it gets you to think of, like, what if. Um, but Yeah, I mean, I think... I, I can't even imagine the film without zombies. It's... It's such just a fun experience, I think. 
whenever you're watching it, you know, it's funny. It's it's really funny. And I think it was the first Edgar Wright film I watched, and immediately I fell in love with his work. Like, seeing, especially, you know, the ending when they've got um, Don't Stop Me Now by Queen playing over all the main characters just beating this one zombie to death, even though the zombie's already dead. But that's beside the point. I feel like this film is, like, a very good satire on um, the whole, like, what's doing a zombie apocalypse, because it's they're basically just doing the exact opposite of what you should be doing. Like, yeah, they've got the whole aim for the head thing down. Their, their idea of shelter is going to a pub, basically. Uh, and the, 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 all the other things, it's like, oh, stay at home. Like, yep, didn't stay at home. Um, you know, do not go outside. Nope, went outside, went to the pub. Well, does any of the things that you're saying sound familiar? Perhaps like something that the whole world has maybe had to deal with the last few years. Yeah, it makes me think about the whole COVID situation. I feel like, you know, real life, like, I feel, I feel like none of us would survive uh, a zombie apocalypse at this point. As soon as COVID, like the first UK lockdown came along, immediately I pretty much watched Shaun of the Dead because I was like, well, this is relatable. And it's just, it feels so weird watching it now after going through all of this where, you know, they're like saying, oh, you must stay at home. Do not leave your homes or anything. And it's like, we've actually had to live through something that's like that. Something which is seen as like a comedic trope of these zombie apocalypse films, but all the way back in 2004, just 16 years later becomes a reality for everybody. Sure, we haven't got zombies walking through the streets, but it's the same premise, really. Worse, you have anti-masks. Yeah, that's what, um, what's his name, Pete? Peter? No, it wasn't Pete, it was, um, Philip, wasn't it? Yeah, that's what he would have been. Yeah, definitely. He would have been like, oh, I just got bitten by one of those, um, oh, you know, one of those crazy people. He would have like, he would have been like one of those mask wearing. One of those crackheads. One of those crackheads. Isn't that what they call them? I told you, ransom water under it. It's like, you know, it's just, it's, it's like what people are now. It's just like, oh, I'll be fine. I went outside and put my mask on and not actually doing anything else that people have told them to do. Oh, I think it was um, Penelope Wilton who plays um, Simon Pegg's mum in the film. Yeah, she says like, oh, well, there's a few people. They did get a bit bitey. And, oh, and then you've got that really funny scene because um, Simon Pegg's like, oh, no, mum, are you okay? And she's like, I'm okay. They did get Philip. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, there's also reference to Night of the Living Dead. Oh, it's just, it's just the flu. It's just the flu. It's just the worst version of the flu. And I say that as somebody who's had COVID and was triple jabbed and I had a bad experience with it still. Uh, I'm not saying I'm not saying that the jab doesn't do anything because I imagine that if I did if I wasn't vaccinated I would have had a worse experience with it but it's it's just it's kind of resemblant of those types of people. I remember like when the the December lockdown like December 2020 and there was a lockdown and uh and I remember I've, it was all happened all of a sudden, and I was in, I was in this the shopping centre as it was happening, and everyone just dropped everything and just went to quickly buy anything they could because Christmas was right around the corner, and it all went crazy. Now, like if you just replace the zombies with those, and then you know the the group having to drive through all that lot, I feel that would just be sort of the dead twenty twenty. It's like all the toilet roll stuff where you couldn't get just toilet rolls because they were stock they everybody was stocking on them 
and bread as well. I remember I went to like a big Asda just before the first lockdown was announced and like the whole like wheat and bread aisle was just completely gone. Like there was nothing in there. Shaun of the Dead is just overall like a really fun film. It's a parody of like zombie films, but it does it well on like specific things. Uh, I'm looking at you, the dead don't die. But yeah, I really enjoy Shaun of the Dead. This takes us into the the second film, um, Hot Fuzz. Which, you know, in a way kind of relates to the whole, like, rules sort of thing. Because at least uh, in Hot Fuzz, it's like, it's about a bunch of, well, halfway through anyway, the, the kind of, like, would you call it like a cult? Like a kind of like a secret society th- sort of thing? The, the villagers that have been there, they kind of have, like, their own, like, old-fashioned rules and all that. You know, it kind of reminds me, like, you know, like, current people now who have, to, like, their own, like, agenda, just, like, of, like, oh, you know, back, we had, like, these old sort of, old-fashioned sort of things. And um, Sergeant Angel's just like, just change that because it's not right. Kind of reminds me a little bit of, have you ever seen Logan's Run? No. Logan's Run is a 1976 film by Michael Anderson. uh, And it's basically about people not being allowed to reach like up to 30. And it kind of, I feel like relates to, you know, in Hot Fuzz, the people of Sanford don't want, people to take away from it being like the best town is it the best town or best village best village of the year or village of the year yeah village of the year it kind of it's kind of like logan's runs about like they don't want people to age any older than 30 so like they go out and just like yeah you're not allowed to be above 30 or you will die hot fuzz out of um all the other films in the colonist trilogy i feel like has the most foreshadowing uh it's very heavy on it then it, it tracks back quite a bit can i like, you know like how sean the dead does with the above the scene or uh sean basically goes to the corner shop and then the next day he goes to the corner shop again and then like everything he said or you know everything that's been there is different it's like that but it's 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 more like a start to end sort of thing like it happens once happens again the scene was like oh do you want anything from the shops like yeah cornetto and then says it again later on when they got the guns they both have like the exact same dialogue with the fence gag as well. What you never taken a shortcut before? It's it's a very a fun, a very fun film that you know it's I I it was for the longest time one of the films I didn't actually want to watch in the Cornhuskers trilogy. I don't know why because I didn't think it was gonna be as good as the World's End or Shaun of the Dead. But then I kind of prefer it over Shaun of the Dead now. I guess I don't know why. I I, I absolutely love it. Um, your thoughts on Hoffers? I mean, it's like it's like what you were saying before. The, the film has a lot of foreshadowing, and I think you, when you were talking about the Cornettos before, how you said that they asked for a Cornetto, you know, more serious, and they do that multiple times. Don't they? I mean, you know, it's it happens like a few times with lines that are sort of either from when when they watch the two movies, uh, Bad Boys Two and Point Break that scenes from those are replicated or, or lines from those are replicated because it, you know, it's like, you know, to show like the uh, intertextuality of both of them, you know, of how like they will literally just steal the lines, but they reference the film, the films that they steal the lines from in verse. So it's, it's more intelligent than just ripping them off. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the whole of the Cornetto trilogy really does have a load of intertextual references. Shaun of the Dead, obviously it's more to like zombie apocalypse type films this one it's more like buddy cop thrillers and stuff like that and uh, i think like world's end 
there's a lot of references to just like primal scream what i like about hot fuzz is it kind of of all the films it feels it feels like it is very different in each act but it's done so well that you don't even notice it so it starts off just being like a generic cop thing where it's like oh this cop's trying to arrest these people for breaking the law uh, and then suddenly it turns into like a murder mystery it's like oh who's doing all this crime is sergeant angel gonna be able to figure it out and then it just turns into all-out carnage by the end of it which is something i love and i mean all-out carnage that's kind of another thing like every cornetta trilogy film ends with so much just carnage but there's a lot i really just enjoy with this film i i do think one of the the funniest scenes to me actually is when sergeant angel is kind of like you know trying to exploit the um the whole like society itself and it's just like try like trying to get this like whole conspiracy of like the reasons why they did the crimes and then when they actually tell him the reasons they actually did the crimes it's it's just for the stupidest of reasons just like oh yeah we didn't like him tabloid journalism i was laughing like mad when i first saw that for the first time because i just thought it was really stupid and really funny just like oh it, they thought it was just going to be like some massive grand reveal. It's just like, oh no, we just didn't like these people. Um... <laughs> it's like, because the whole audience are going to be like playing around in their mind like, oh, what is going on? What is like the mystery behind this? And then it all comes out. It's like, oh, it's it's just general dislike for people. It's like, well, let's just kill them then. You can say that how it makes fun of like the sort of the English countryside, like they're all kind of like, xenophobes like they're all kind of like oh anything different we don't want that and you know they're all a bit like that and then as as well there's like parts where it's like oh you know we don't want to look bad you know they don't want to look bad so they're going to kill people for different you know pathetic reasons as you said but also the part where he's asked to leave the metropolitan police bill nye who's in all of these films as well he says um well you're making us all look bad and it's like that theme of the authority in both places caring about sort of not the not the good that's been done or anything important, but just sort of like materialistic or just kind of pointless, uh, pointless things. If that makes sense. And it's like the whole um, reasoning that the people of Sanford give for like why Sergeant Angel's wrong is like, oh, you live in the city where like crime is big. Were the countryside, this sort of thing doesn't really happen. We just have lots of accidents. And as somebody who has lived in both a city and the countryside, that is actually kind of true. There is a lot less crime in the countryside than there is in the city. But yeah, I find stuff like that funny. It's it's keeping up with the whole theme of like there's pubs in all the films. The first film obviously is the Winchester, very iconic. This film has uh, what what was the pub called in this film? It's called the King's Head. Is it? Oh, no, it's not, because... Because the King's Head's in both Shaun of the Dead and The World's End. Wait, it's in Shaun of the Dead? Yeah, they mention that they're going to go for a quick bite at the King's Head. Yeah, that's a reference to to them biting Philip's neck, apparently. You know, it kind of sucks that there isn't a King's Head reference in Hot Fuzz, because it could be another thing that leads them all together. As we just mentioned, the King's Head was referenced in Shaun of the Dead, and it ends up being one of the main pubs in uh, the third and final film of the Cornetta trilogy, which is The World's End. So, what does everybody think of The World's End? It's alright, isn't it? I mean, it's it's a great, it's great. 
like yeah it's a it's a really good film it's not as good as the others I'm sorry andrew but you know you'll accept it one day i'm telling you the facts and one day you'll accept them um but yeah it's pretty it's a really good film yeah the world's end i do enjoy it the only thing I kind of have an issue with it is I don't feel Edgar Wright gels too much with big CGI type ordeals. I prefer the more grounded element with this film, whereas with both Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, I like the more, I'm not going to say surreal, but the more chaotic side of it. Whereas the chaotic side of The World's End, I kind of just, I'm like, okay, I've seen this before. And it feels like the most Hollywood type of film in the Cornetto trilogy. And I still enjoy it. Like, when I watch it, it's like, oh, I want to I wanna go to the pub. Uh, I mean, you already know my thoughts on The World's End, and I absolutely love it. There's not much else I can really say about it, to be fair. But, I mean, like you said before, like, comparing it to like, it not being as chaotic, I think that's like the most chaotic out of the, the other two, to be fair. It's it's a bunch of drunken men just trying to fight, like, robots that can just plug and play back together, and they, they just bleed out blue ink. Like, tell me, what's not chaotic about that? I'm not saying it's not chaotic, I just don't vibe as well with the chaos that's in this film in comparison to Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead. That stuff's, it's the main, it's the ending when they have suddenly, like, this big cgi fest and it's like it reminds me of something that come out of like a marvel film and they have like that huge like cgi blast and they're like oh no we've got to get away from it it's like it's a trope i've seen so many times and i understand if he's like making fun of that it's just for me that doesn't it doesn't feel like something echo wright does too well and i feel like he's better with more grounded down-to-earth stuff uh not that zombies and well, I guess cults are realistic. But not that zombies are realistic, but it feels, you know, that wasn't too big on CGI and stuff. Whereas this, it's just a bit, what it's stuff I've seen before. I, I, I liked it because it wasn't like, you know, the, like the endings compared to uh, Shaun of Dead and Hot Fuzz because they're like, you know, like at least happy endings. This one's just like, I mean, it's still a happy ending, but it's just like, you know, Oh yeah, um, you know we got the freedom at what cost? Like you know, basically just took the the earth back into the Stone Age. But you know, you see, like it's I like it because it's also like Gary King's like actually gone sober at the end of it. It's just like oh yeah, no, I don't want alcohol anymore. I want water. Or is it five waters? Five waters, and they won't serve the other people with him because they're the blanks. It's just like, do you not know who I am? I'm the king. It's just like I'd love that. Uh, I mean, I can I can agree with the CGI. It's just like, yeah, maybe in some parts it's not the best, but this is like a satirical film, and you can't really expect it's like you know the CGI needs to be the top notch. Although this this was made by Universal, right? I mean, all of it was made by Universal. It's it's more that I just feel that it's not the sort of thing that you look for in an Edgar Wright film, and it's just kind of like I'm just kind of sick of big cgi endings and stuff it's like last night in soho had kind of hokey cgi like he, he's a big fan edgar wright's a big fan of like stuff like evil dead and evil you know evil dead 2 especially which has you know was well known for being made on the cheap with practical effects and it would just would have been cool seeing a bit more practicality although, although the stuff with the, the heads and stuff in in the world's end there probably is a decapitated pierce brosnan head out there somewhere 
it kind of reminds me of what I was saying about like, well, I wasn't saying it, but I was talking about the new Jurassic World last week. And a huge debate I've kind of seen just within like the film community is nothing has beaten really the original dinosaurs in the first Jurassic Park because they used like, I can't remember exactly what they used, but they used stuff so that the actors could have genuine reactions to them. And uh, sure, the CGI probably looks more realistic now, but it's not as authentic because when you see like, oh, Chris Pratt's screaming at a dinosaur, he's just screaming at a green screen rather than having something there to actually react to. In the original Jurassic Park, they used genuine things so they could track the actors uh reactions so you think that was then could have been better if it used practical rather than cgi or a lot more of practical yeah but the main complaint i kind of have with the cgi i don't think could be done practically with like the big sort of like power blast at the end if it was me i would have just written that differently so it didn't have a big blast at the end but that's just me it makes me just want a pint to be honest i love the fight scenes in this compared to the um the other two like i love the big shootout in hot fuzz and i love the um the don't stop me now sequence in genre dead but something about the bar fights in this particularly when andy like, actually gets drunk and all that like he, the, the drunker he gets a lot more vicious he gets you know he starts using chairs he starts being resourceful one thing i find really funny is because throughout the whole film he doesn't drink and then there's just this one part where he just starts doing a load of shots. And it's like, right, okay, I'm drinking. I'm in with you guys. Like, he just catches up to them. Because uh, he hasn't drank in, like, I think it's like 30 years or something like that. I think it's like, not, I think it's like 16. But still, uh, enough for him to be thirsty. Yeah, Gary King's like, you must be thirsty then. I feel like that's one of the best appeals of this film. The quotes, like, I, I know majority of the quotes of this film. And I love just quoting it, like, randomly, anywhere and everywhere. Like, I'll, when I'm out with someone and we're drinking, I'll go, drink up, that's boo-boo. And then it's just like, you know, if they don't know what it means, I just explain the whole boo-boo thing, like Gary King does. Or if someone else does it, you know. And if we're in a, if it's like five of us, which is like, it's, you know, the magic number, and um, we are on the streets, uh, we'll put on the um, the whiskey bar song, and we all just start, like, link linking arms and start just walking slowly, just like, five guys... On a night out and just start singing the song and just du, 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 du. <laughs> one thing i do really like is on how the film kind of ends like the whole reason like all the conflict in the film comes to its climax is because <laughs> simon peck's character gary king starts just quoting primal scream and he's like we want to be free we want to be free to do what we want to do and we're gonna have a good time and it's like Primal Scream saved the day, as they should. It's more of that intertextuality, isn't it? It's more of them using just direct quotes and other things. And also, just to look at another point, just uh, what Andrew was saying before, when I'm in a pub, I always imagine, like, do you know the overdramatic pouring sequences? Uh, oh, where... psh, yeah, psh, and like and the, then yeah, the water. Yeah, I, I always get that. Um, especially, like, if I'm on that out and I order, like, a Coke instead, I'll be like, <laughs> I just imagine that little... Like the little bit when um, Andy has the water. The Edgar Wright montages are so iconic. More prevalent during the Cornetto trilogy, I think. 
there, there was some in like Scott Pilgrim. I can't think of them being in Baby Driver at all. I think they might have been one in Last Night in Soho. I mean, there were a few, there were a few in Baby Driver. It was more, but it was more like musically orientated. Like it would sort of go to like a beat of a song, you know. That's yeah, of course, Baby Driver does. Yeah, no, I mean, like Baby Driver. That's the montage thing is kind of different because it's like just the quick panning past things. Um, whereas Baby Driver is just more sort of longer takes, I think, than any of the other Edgar Wright films. Do I speak for everyone when I say we need to uh, plan a pub crawl? <laughs> twelve pubs, twelve pints. Uh, I'll get everyone around. I'll get everyone a few rounds. Let's do it. Yeah, five friends having a good time. We need to get three other people. <laughs> well, two other people. That's all we need. We need someone who drinks water. Yeah. Just for like the the first like few pu- pubs, and then they just need to do like shots. Yes. Um, well, on like. We'll get um whoever the next two guests are on the podcast. You're joining us, maybe not, but maybe perhaps. So if you do want to hear more about me talking about the world's end and me obsessing over it, definitely listen to our first episode where we talk about our favorite films. You can listen to it on Spotify, Amazon Music, and Apple Podcasts, and also on our RSS feed. You can you can find that on our socials uh, at So What We Were Watching, and yeah, go ahead, go give it a listen. Andrew, what position did you say the world's ends in again for you? Uh, I think it was like number one. That's my number num- number one position. Oh yeah, yeah. So this was like your favorite film. Yeah. Oh really? Your favorite film, like generally? Yeah. It was like a top five favorite, like, and most people who actually know me were expecting like, oh, it's gonna be a horror, isn't it? And I think there was like only like what one horror on that um list. It was Halloween, and I had. Nightcrawl on there and Zack Snyder's just sleep, but number one had to be uh, World's End. I had one too, unless you're Andrew, because Andrew thinks Donnie Darko is a horror film. And I want to ask you, Stefan, do you think Donnie Darko is a horror film? I have not seen it, but probably. I'm not counting that. It's a probably. Right, so anyway, enough about the Conetta trilogy, although it is amazing. Please do check out. I'm not sure that any of the films are on, like, fil- I think you can get them all on Amazon Prime. If you've got Amazon Prime, go watch them. But if you don't, uh, go find them on DVD or something. But leading in to kind of, like, our film news, who wants to go first? My news is a little bit of a short news, and it's not going to take, you know, the most time in this section. And this is to do with, like, another film director that I so dearly love. To an extent, I guess. Uh, and it's Tarantino, um, and I feel like we mentioned Tarantino in the past episodes. Inglorious Bastards. You said that's like one of your favorite films. In my top, I think it's like number three, number four, three or four. Not too sure. So a lot of people are probably aware of one of these. Would it be a controversial film? Django Unchained. Okay. Maybe for like, the whole usage of slurs. Then again, we have just been talking about the Cornetto trilogy, and that does have a few slurs in it. <laughs> it is, like, set in, like, during that time and all that, but it's also, like, you know, the actors seeing it. But, I mean, it's also Tarantino. But Tarantino apparently was supposed to be... Because I think he's he was supposed to be directing, like, one last film. And I think, originally, it was supposed to be... I think they might have done a comic on this, too. It was would have been Django and Zorro. I'm not too sure what the official title would have been. Yeah, Django Zorro. I think that's what it was going to be called. Django Zorro. Yeah, like Django slash Zorro. Uh, I mean, recent news, apparently, 
they don't have the, the enough budget to actually produce Django Zorro as his last film and which is kind of surprising like you know it's like a director who wants to make his last film like they can't get a big enough budget for it I mean it leads me to think you know it's not the, I mean, it's not the biggest news in the world but it leads me to think like you know since he is going to be doing one last film and if he can't do this what sort of films he could be doing I think Stefan mentioned this before uh, about Kill Bill Volume 3 about uh, who was the little girl um the daughter of was it Erica wasn't or something Erica Fox is that a name or is that is that Fox Force Five is Eric Erica something the girl's called or the mum was called that because it was um it was Black Mamba's daughter that apparently people wanted in this film and then it was also the one of um the one she kills at the beginning of the film oh sorry it's um her, her, she's Copperhead Kill Bill Volume Three uh people wanted Copperhead's uh daughter coming back. As kind of like more like a like a revenge tale, I think against uh, is it Beatrice? She's called. Yeah, Beatrix Kiddo. Yeah. Yeah, either that or you know they could do another film, kind of like uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't know if anybody's seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Love it. It's brilliant. Yeah, I I loved it. It's less of the I want to say shockly over the top gore films. It's more like, you know quite grounded, and I I, I love it. According to Jared Carmichael, who I believe was meant to be involved in this film, the script was supposed to be, I quote, incredible. And yeah, I'm going to be fully honest. I have never seen a Tarantino film. Never at all. Never. I think I watched like the first 20 minutes of Reservoir Dogs and then I got bored and I turned it off. (laughs) But yeah, no, like it's still a shame you know, because this, I think, was meant to be, like, his final film. Obviously, he's a very iconic director. And, yeah, I hope, you know, he can still get that chance to make one final film. Because we we need to see one last Tarantino film in cinema before uh, he didn't make any more films. Do, do you reckon he'd make that Star Trek film that he said he was going to make? I remember them talking about him making a Star Trek film, but I feel like it's he's... I feel like what he's trying to do now is trying to nail out, like, kind of iron out what projects he has left or what scripts he has le- left and what he wants to do or what ideas he could make. I'm not too sure what happened to Star Trek projects. So I'm not too sure. I feel like this was before the news that he was going to do one last film, but I'm not too sure what happened. Yeah, yeah. I think I think, I think actually it was around the same time because I, I remember people saying, is uh, Quentin Tarantino's last film going to be uh, a Star Trek movie? Um, but the thing is, I feel like that could be, like, the exception. Like, all his films are, are original. I mean, except for Django, kind of, because that's based off an old Western. But, like, nothing's part of, like, a franchise, really. So it'd be interesting to see, like, if he made ten films, and then his, if he made, say, one extra one, which would be, like, a Star Trek one, just as, like, an extra little nugget in his career, you know, or something. I, I don't know. I can just imagine, again, I'm not familiar with any of Tarantino's films, but uh, something which me and Andrew were talking about either last week or the week before's episode, you know, on how, like, what Hollywood's kind of doing now is going big on multiverses. It would be cool, maybe, to see a multiversal version of, like, uh, all Quentin Tarantino's characters, like, all of his films being merged into one. Uh, like a No Way Home type thing where it's got like Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, Kill Bill, all all, all the 
all the Tarantino films. Then again, that would also be like kind of one of those situations where you have to have seen all these things before, which I personally am quite critical of. Does anybody think that's a possibility? Possibly. Enough about Tarantino, though. Does anybody else have anything else in the news? Or Guy Ritchie, he's making uh, another remake for Disney. He did Aladdin in 2019, and uh, either in 2022 or 23, it'll probably be 23 at the rate these films are going, um, he's remaking uh, Hercules, which, of course, the original uh, came out in 97. And he, Guy Ritchie sort of become Disney's remake tron like they'll think oh we need to remake a film who should we call oh guy Ritchie, the most unlikeliest choice considering all the films he did were a bit like grimy and gritty and now he's making all these colorful disney films i mean he's responsible for like the robert downey jr sherlock holmes films yeah but i mean they were still gritty like they, those were still quite grimy sometimes like they weren't they weren't like you know like like disney films i'll be honest i've um I've never actually watched the original Hercules. No surprise that I haven't either. I don't think I have either. I've seen bits of it, but I just don't think I ever owned it on VHS because I owned, uh, as a kid, uh, quite a lot of like VHS stuff, I, and especially like Disney films. I, I remember, I think it would have been like some sort of like Arthur and the the Sword and the Stone or something like that, like VHS by Disney. But I never, never watched Hercules. I, I don't think I ever had Hercules. I'm not too sure why. I mean, I, w- I would watch it now, but I just, I don't know. I don't know if I want to watch it, to be fair. I mean, I guess this is kind of just another big addition to the many reboots which me and Andrew were ranting about the other week. You know, Disney have been doing this so much, like, over the last decade. We had The Jungle Book, The Lion King, Aladdin, um, Dumbo, Pinocchio is coming up, and now Hercules. I think there's going to be a Lilo and Stitch reboot. There's just so much which is just... But, but surely they can't be that out of ideas that they think, oh, whatever, let's just remake something else. Because the thing is, it's not even like these films are outdated for modern audiences. Yes, some of their old films do have racist undertones, but like at the end of the day, like the animation style still holds up. We're not just trying to subject kids to just big CGI 3D animation stuff. Like, they can still watch 2D things. It's like I said... I'd rather them just, like, if they want kids to be reintroduced to Hercules or The Lion King, just re-release the old films in cinemas, uh, like they've done with The Godfather recently, like they're currently doing with all the Bond films, instead of just spending all this money on making, not I can't even say new, just making really bad live-action reboots of things. Do we know who the cast are for this uh, new Hercules film? I don't think so. They've only just announced it. It's also being produced by the Russo brothers, who are responsible for Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. Guy Ritchie and Russo brothers, that's a very interesting concoction. Is it, do you reckon it's going to be more of an action thing? Like, more of an action film? Like, and like, and less sort of magic? I mean, I doubt it's going to have, like, blood and guts and stuff, but do you reckon it's going to be a bit more like, like Thor, maybe? I mean, if it's something to do with, like, Hercules, you know, like, myth- mythology and, like, Russo Bros and all that, I feel like, you know, it could be a little bit more of an action-driven film, but we've seen, like, stuff like that happen before with, you know, like, Mulan, and that, Mulan didn't exactly go well. I can't say I'm looking forward to this, to be honest. It's just another Disney reboot. Like, I'm getting sick of it. <laughs> like we were saying before, and, like, the other week about, like, uh, reboots, you know, this is just... 
I mean, it it sounds like it could be good and it could look good, but it's at the end of the day, will it actually be good? Will it actually have like a good story? Will it actually be? Uh, I mean, it, it'll probably just be like the rehash of the dealer story, but it could just be terrible. Because the Lion King reboot uh, is like the same. I think they added it in like one scene, maybe to show like, hey, look, we've got progressive. Other than that, you know, they've just recast all the actors, other than James Earl Jones. That's like the one thing I'm happy about with the live action Lion King is he stayed as Mufasa. Um, but then, yeah, then they just like made everyone live action. And it's just, do we get it? It looks nice, but it's not, it's pointless. <laughs> they, they don't do anything different with it. It's just a shame because, like, for example, in Lion King, you're just saying like how James Earl Jones is the only returning voice actor. It's just because he's Darth Vader and kids know who Darth Vader is. Like, you know, Rowan Atkinson was in that first film, and he's a great voice actor. I mean, he's Mr. Bean, you know, everyone knows who he is, but he's not as well-known as Darth Vader. So they'll get all the recognisable ones back. If they wanted to make it more like like Lion King now, I mean, um, if they wanted to make The Lion King like a documentary, which I think I remember seeing in an interview that was like the pitch, it would be like a nature documentary or something crazy like that, um, they should have gotten David Attenborough as the, as the, like, the big lion, I forgot what he's called, like the king. Mufasa. Yeah, him. They should have gotten David Attenborough because that would actually make a bit more like, oh, it's kind of like a nature documentary or something like that. I mean, it is what it is at the end of the day. So anyway, um, kind of on the same topic, but not entirely. I wouldn't say it's so much a reboot, but just another adaptation is the new Matilda, uh, Roald Dahl's Matilda the Musical, which is a new film coming out at the end of this year. Um, the trailer has just been released, and yeah, as have you guys seen it? I don't think anything's gonna beat the original Matilda. Uh, like we were just saying then about reboots and remakes. Is that the one from '96? Yeah, I believe so. The one with, with the Danny DeVito. Yeah, Danny DeVito. It's funny that we've mentioned Danny DeVito twice. It's not a lot, but it's 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 kind of strange we've mentioned him two different films at this point. When was the last time we mentioned him? I'm not too sure. We need a Danny DeVito episode. Let let us know. Let us know if you want to see a uh, a Danny DeVito episode <laughs> uh, on our socials. So, what does everybody think of it? I, I, I it's promising. Can't really say much until we've actually seen it. I'm gonna go out here and just say I am not particularly a big fan of musicals. I just I I I get, I get confused by them to be honest. Uh, there's a few musicals I like. Uh, like the old Oliver one from the 60s. Off the top of my head, I can't really think of other musicals that I like. Would the Nativity films count as musicals? Not really. Uh, I think a, a, a musical is... Well, that's kind of like, you know, asking, like, if uh, School of Rock is a musical, because... Was it? The film? Not really, because a musical is more like... Like, every, like, ten minutes is a song, whereas, like... Nativity and you know School of Rock and all that it was like yeah there were songs but it wasn't like mainly a musical. It's not it's not like woven into the narrative like an, like an actual musical would be. One thing I will say is this film is going to be directed by uh, Matthew Walkers, who you may know directed the 2014 film Pride, which is a big LGBTQ plus central film. Um, it's really critically acclaimed set in the 80s so there's a bit of margaret thatcher in there so i guess there is some promise with that perspective but it's just musicals in general are just for me 
not my thing. If you like them, that's fine. Just not my cup of tea, really. Stefan, what do you think? I probably won't watch it. I mean, you know, it's... I like Roald Dahl. I like um, the Chocolate Factory films. I, I, I haven't really seen any of the other stuff he's done. Uh, there's a theme here, I think, but I, I just, like, I haven't seen the original Matilda. I suppose, like, more of my cousins will probably want to watch the new one, but it's not really... I like musicals, but it's not really my cup of tea. Yeah. You like them, but you don't. <laughs> exactly. There's nothing really. Uh, it doesn't look like it's my thing, but maybe I'll go watch it. Who, who knows? And that kind of brings us to this, the end of this episode. Yeah, I, I guess we say thank you for Stefan for being on today. Uh, Stefan, do you have any final thoughts, I guess? Yeah, I just want to say uh, thanks to you guys for uh, letting me be on the, uh, the podcast. It's been really great discussing about films I really care about and films I don't care about that much. But um it's uh yeah, it's been really good. So uh, I just want to thank you guys. It's been it's been a it's been a, it's been a laugh. It's been a good it's been a good laugh. Hopefully we'll see you uh on the podcast again in the near future. Yes. I doubt the audience reaction will be positive to me coming back. But yeah, all right then. I'll I'll be back. Let us know if you want to see Stefan come back. Which you can get in touch with us uh, via our Instagram, our Twitter, Facebook, any of our social media, which is all linked in the description of wherever you are listening to this on. And uh, or you can leave us a comment on our RSSS feed or email us at so what are we watching at gmail.com. If you missed last week's episode, uh, please make sure to listen back to that and uh, share it with your friends and family. And keep your eyes out for next week's episode, which is, I think it's the Jim Carrey's episode, isn't it, Jordan? Yeah, we're going to be discussing Jim Carrey's best roles. Uh, so, Andrew, that means it's finally time. You need to watch Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I need to watch Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, yes. It's on Netflix. So anyway, yeah, that kind of wraps everything up for this week. That's... Uh... Me and Jordan and Stefan are signing off for this episode, so we'll see you next time. So, bye. Goodbye. Ta-da.